Good morning. Great to see you all here. Well, this morning I'm talking about the first Adam and the last Adam. Now, I'm sure you remember the royal visit with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, who we will call Wills and Kate, and their cute little baby George. And they dominated the headlines every day while they were here. Well, on one of those days, they squared off together with a couple of yacht races. Now, they're both very sporty, and they're both apparently very competitive. So they had this yacht race, but it was Kate with Dean Barker and their all-girl team who won both races, while Wills with Grant Dalton and their crew lost both races. Now, we don't know exactly what Wills said afterwards, but Kate was laughing, and apparently she was heard saying, excuses, excuses. And before they left the pier, there was talk of a rematch. But what in the world would we do without rematches? If the final was the final, and that was that, that would be a very sad end for the hopes and dreams of so many athletes and sports teams and any competitive person if they never got that opportunity to regain the trophy, to recapture the title, to get their own back, to settle old scores. And what an absolutely unmitigated tragedy it would have been if the most crucial rematch of all time had never happened. I'm talking about Jesus squaring off with Satan and winning. And this morning, it's almost like zooming in a bit on one of the action replays, that all-out attack in the desert right after his baptism. Yes, that was a rematch of a fight between mankind and Satan, or to be more exact, a representative man and Satan. There were thousands of years between the initial bout and the rematch, so obviously the human contestants changed, but they each represented the entire human race. The first match was between Adam and Satan, and of course he was still there for the rematch, but this time with Jesus, also known as the last Adam. And he was representing mankind. Now some people call him the second Adam, but you won't find that in the Bible. He's sometimes called the second man and Adam the first man. And there, of course, have been many men since Adam. But Jesus was only the second man to be created by God and only the second man to start out completely free of sin. Jesus is the last Adam, not the second Adam, because if someone is the second of anything, then that opens the door for the third or the fourth or the fifth but since he died for our sin once for all time, there's never going to be any need for any other, you know, second or third or subsequent Adam. Therefore, he is the last Adam. Jesus won the rematch and cancelled the evil legacy of Adam's failure and fall, and that's it. Closure has happened. The record has been set straight, and everybody gets a second chance. He is the last Adam. So what was the fight about? In Genesis 2, we see God creating Adam and Eve and then placing them in the beautiful Garden of Eden. They were sinless and they were free moral agents. God took, they were not robots. God took the risk of giving them a free will so that they could choose, choose to love him, choose to obey. 
And then at some stage in Adam's life, we don't know at what point or how long Adam and Adam had been around, but God gave him a test. He went through a period of testing. And God made it very clear that out of all the trees in the garden, there was just one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that he wasn't allowed to eat from. And the command was very clear. The consequences were spelled out. And the day that you eat from that tree, you will die. Well, so far, so good. Their life was perfect. Everything was going fine. But then Satan, God's arch enemy, came along and tricked Eve into eating the fruit that they were not supposed to eat. And as they say, the rest is history. Eve was deceived and she sinned. Adam disobeyed God and he sinned when he joined her in eating the forbidden fruit. Adam was the representative man or the representative head of the human race. And so sin got into mankind through him. And since then, every human being has been born a sinner and as such is subject to death. Now we might think, wow, you know, why such a massive punishment for what seemed like quite a small first-time offence. Well, the consequences were huge, and God had made the command so clear and so simple, and they fully knew what the consequences were. They tried to become like God, but instead they went the same way that Satan went. On May the 11th in the year 2000, a lady opened up her emails and she found this new message which simply said, I love you. And so she clicked to open that message and the so-called love bug was born. It turned out to be a devastating computer virus and it just raced around the world and caused millions of software programs to crash. It brought politics and business to a halt. But that was like a very, very minor replay, just like a, a tiny little echo of a way deadlier virus that hit planet Earth more than 6,000 years ago when sin polluted the first human couple with devastating repercussions. The catastrophic results of Adam's sin were way worse than all of the hatred and corruption and all the terrible things that we see going on in the world today. Worse than any natural disasters that have happened. Worse than Hitler. Worse than all the terrorism. Worse than all the wars. Worse because it changed the nature of man. And it's the nature of man that is behind most of the stuff that's going on. It also changed the whole world from a perfect paradise into a cursed and a harsh environment. Sin Sickness, decay, um, and death infected everyone, and we all became slaves to sin. Sin is the cause of death. In Romans 5, 12 to 14, and Paul brings out that in Adam, we all sinned. His sin is our sin. His death is our death. And Paul says that if someone disobeys God's law, the penalty is death. Adam disobeyed God's law. He died. But then he also says that from the time of Adam until Moses, there was no law. But 
throughout all that time, people still died. So there must have been some other cause apart from disobedience to the law that caused them to die. And the cause was Adam's sin. Adam passed his sinful nature on to his descendants. And this is the doctrine of original sin. We are born sinners. And that's why we have the tragic situation of little babies dying. They haven't sinned. They haven't done anything, good or bad. But a little baby is a sinner simply because it is born with a sinful nature. So we have this fight, this rematch. Well, what's at stake here? A trophy, a gold medal, a million dollars? No, it's way higher than any of that. World dominion and the eternal souls of men and women. Adam was given dominion or rulership over the whole created world. He and Eve were completely innocent and sinless, and they had this fantastic face-to-face -face intimate relationship with God. But when Adam sinned, all of that was lost. God's holiness and sin are incompatible. They just don't mix. When Adam sinned, his relationship with God was fractured, and that also, that same breaking down affected all subsequent relationships. Sin and death entered the human race, and he lost dominion over the created world. And from there on out, this fallen, sin-sick, and polluted world as we know it began to take shape. Now, some people ask, was it fear for God to condemn the whole world because of one man's disobedience? Well, one commentator says that, yeah, it was more than fear. It was also very wise and very kind of God to do that. First of all, if he had tested us all individually, most likely we'd have exactly the same result that Adam had. And secondly, by condemning the human race through one man, Adam, God could save the human race through one man, Jesus Christ. We are all from Adam's race, so his act of disobedience affects us all. Where am I? <laughs> but we can be saved in Christ, who is the head of a new race. So it's like his one act of obedience, or his whole life of obedience, affects us all too, if we will believe. The fallen angels sinned individually, and they were judged individually. They had no chance of salvation, no chance to be saved, because they were not a race. And if we were tested as individuals, and if we failed as individuals, who would be our representative? You know, keeping in mind that it would have to be someone who was sinless, and also it would have to be someone who was willing to die for us, because only a sinless sacrifice could legally satisfy the justice of God. We would be in an impossible situation. We'd be in a mess. Okay, moving on. I just want to compare the first Adam who lost the fight and the last Adam who won. And I do have a lot of scriptures down here, but I'm not even going to say them because I've got too much notes and not enough time. So you just have to trust me that all this is from the Bible. Now, the first Adam was created. The last Adam, Jesus, is the creator. The first Adam was made from heaven. The last Adam came from heaven. 
The first Adam wanted to become like God. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, <coughs> was God, and he, <coughs> oh, he became a man. The first Adam was sent away. The last Adam was sent to pay. The first Adam brought death to the living. The, life, the last Adam brought life to the dying. Both the first and last Adams had supernatural births. They were both created sinless, but only the last Adam lived a sinless life right through. Now, that raises another question. If Jesus was sinless, how come he died? He died because of our sin, not his own. And we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just a short time before he was crucified, praying in agony of heart. In Matthew 26, verse 39, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And yet there's this commitment to obedience, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now the key to understanding Christ's agony here lies in identifying the cup Jesus faced death with courage and peace, so it's unlikely to be that, more likely to be the price that he would pay for being made sin on the cross. In drinking that cup of the sin of the world, the sinless Son of God took all of mankind's sin into himself, and it separated him from God and brought the wrath of God upon him. And this was the only way that he could die, because where there's no sin, death has no power. Both the first and the last Adam exercised their free will. The first Adam to disobey, the last Adam Jesus used his will to obey, even though that meant death. The first Adam disobeyed under a little pressure. By contrast, the last Adam was under so much pressure that at one point in his battle to be obedient to the Father's will, he sweat drops of blood. Now, sweating drops of blood is rare, but it's not unheard of. It has a medical name, which I'm not going to read out because it's a strange long word, but just to say that it is recognized as the body's response to extreme stress. So let's have a look at the desert phase of the rematch in Luke 4, verses 1 to 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. And there were a couple of other temptations on that last day. I mean, there would have been others. He was there for 40 days, but just three are recorded. He resisted them all the same way. The devil said, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Now, Adam and Eve in the garden saw that the fruit looked good to eat, and they ate it. Jesus was tempted in the same way after... Uh, he was hungry after that 40 days of fasting, and Satan said, turn the stone into bread. But instead of using his divine powers to meet his own needs outside of God's will, Jesus responded by quoting from the Old Testament, man does not live on bread alone. Now we all know that food is good, hunger is good, eating is good, all good things, but the timing was wrong. 
and it was at the wrong time, the wrong way. And we are also going to get tempted to satisfy normal human desires in the wrong way at the wrong time. And our challenge is not to give in to that Adamic nature, but to go with the life of God, the life of the Holy Spirit in us. The Adamic nature says it looks good, I'll take it. It feels good, I'll do it. But we don't want to be like that. We've got to be like the, the last Adam and say no to worldly desires. No, I'm not going to get into shoplifting. No, we won't steal food when we're hungry. No, we're not going to have sex before we're married. No, we're not going to try and satisfy God-given desires in ways that God does not approve of. We don't know how Jesus was tempted or what was going on in his head during those 40 days, but we do know that it would have been an all-out assault by the devil. Now, James 1 and verse 4, now this is talking about human beings being tempted. It says, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And Max Lucado brings out how temptation drags us and entices us. And when that happens, as we've all seen maybe many times, what we never dreamed about, what was unthinkable before the desert becomes possible when we're in it. The things that we thought we'd never do or said that we'd never do begin to look pretty good in the wilderness. It weakens our resolve. A tough marriage can make a good man look twice at the wrong woman or, or a good woman look twice at the wrong man. Emotional or physical pain that just goes on and on and on can make booze or drugs look like not such a bad idea, maybe a bit of an anaesthetic, or suicide look like a way of escape to even the strongest person. He says that the wilderness is the maternity ward for addictions, binge eating, alcoholism, pornography, and all that kind of thing. Now, I'm not making excuses for those issues, but we just need to understand that when we're in that place, or when someone else is in that place, in the desert, going through trials and hard times, we are in a very vulnerable place. And we really need to be very careful and keep close to God. The last Adam shows us how to handle temptation. Jesus came to this earth to live and to die and to rescue us. He's done it all. And now by faith, his life is our life and his righteousness is our righteousness. The enemy has been defeated, and though he's, you know, he still has his place of dominion in this world, but his days are numbered. Meanwhile, he's still trying to destroy the bodies and the souls of mankind, and he's still trying to target God's people to sin by, causing, by tempting them by, with this temptation. And Jesus has done so much, but we also have our part to play in this. We've got to cooperate. The first Adam was an easy beat. He was an easy beat, but to be fair, he probably didn't see it coming. He was tested in a beautiful garden. Jesus was tested in a bleak wilderness. Adam faced Satan on a full stomach. Jesus was fasting. The first Adam had a com companion. Jesus was alone. The first Adam's challenge was to remain sinless in a sinless environment. The last Adam had a much harder test. 
He was challenged to remain sinless in a fallen and sin-ridden world, and he obeyed. And he has left us this outstanding example of determination and courage and perseverance and obedience all the way. I guess that we all know people, I'm sure we do, you know, old school, old timers, old whatever, who have that attitude, you know, I had it tough, I did it tough, I'm going to make it tough for you, you can have the same. But Jesus is not like that, not a bit of it, not at all. As God, he understands our trials and temptations, and as a man, he understands how we feel. He's been there, and the things that he went through give him just that greater understanding and compassion for us when we attempted. He was alone in the desert, but he's made sure that we're never alone. He's always with us, and he's interceding for us in heaven. Hebrews 2 and verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So we belong to the last Adam. By his grace, we're not easy beats. So we need to really arm ourselves with the same weapons and follow the same tactics that we see Jesus using in the wilderness. Now his weapon was the word of God the sword of the spirit. He didn't use his divine powers to win victory. He used God's word, and we have that today. I mentioned those two short um, yacht races between Kate and Wills, which Kate won. Now, I don't know if they had a tactician on board, but when it comes to real serious yacht racing, they say the tactician is one of the most important team members. Tactics are vital. And if we're wise to the enemy's tactics, and if we have winning tactics ourselves, then we're going to have a real advantage here. One of Satan's powerful tactics is deception. You know, look at Eve. What excuses did she have? She lived in the perfect environment. She had the perfect relationship with God. She'd never been abused by authority figures. She didn't have any father issues. She didn't have any emotional baggage or anything like that. And yet Satan deceived her. That's pretty scary for us. Now, how did he pull that off? Well, he didn't tell Eve a big fat lie. She would never have fallen for that, and we wouldn't either. He just subtly distorted the truth, just like a little minor twist, just a slight suggestion that God was withholding something. And you know, often it's the same with cults and false prophets and false teachers. It's not the big fat lie, not usually, because if it was, no one would get sucked in by it. Often it's something like 90% truth and 10% lie. With Eve, Satan just asked, did God really say that? Did God really say that? Hmm. You know, just with the implication that what he said wasn't quite right or wasn't quite what he meant. And also notice that he came in disguise as a snake, which apparently was a friendly creature at that stage. Satan has a way of just taking God's word and asking, 
Did God really say that in a way, in a tone that plants the suggestion in our mind that God may not be as right or not as good or not as loving as we think and that his word might just be open to a little bit of doubt, a little bit of leeway, a little bit of negotiation. Maybe it's just a bit old-fashioned, a bit passe in our day, in our age, all of which is absolute rubbish. The Bible is good for every, every age. Now then, then with that seed sown, Satan led Eve down a path of reasoning to a place where she would eventually question God's goodness and God's integrity. He pulled off an amazing feat in deceiving Eve. But at some stage before that, remember he'd done the same thing with one third of the angels who worshipped the manifest presence of God in heaven. He's good at it. He can do it to us if we don't really know the word. Now, when Satan tempted Jesus to do earthly works like making bread out of stone or jumping off the temple, Jesus didn't take the bait. He didn't need to prove who he was, and he didn't do signs to order. He simply accurately quoted the Bible. And I think accurately is really the operative word. If Eve had stuck with what God actually said instead of adding something to it, maybe she would have been okay. And Satan is still using that same old line. Did God really say that? You know, years ago, a long time ago now, I was really shocked to read an article in a magazine that was put out by one of the largest Bible colleges in New Zealand presenting the idea of annihilation for non-believers instead of hell after they die. Well, that's a really nice idea, but it's not the truth. The Bible clearly teaches the reality of a place called hell. Yes, God really did say that, but Satan's suppression of this truth has lulled untold millions and millions of people into a tragic sense of complacency about their eternal state. And now many Christians as well, even theologians, as well as the unsaved, believe these subtle manipulations. Annihilation is a very appealing thought. It's just not true. It's not what Jesus taught. It's not why he suffered on the cross. It's not why he allowed himself to be tortured to death. And it certainly isn't going to help the church to get on with the job of saving the world. We really have to stick with the truth of God's word and just be on the alert to that tactic. Did God really say? Jesus' weapon, survival weapon of choice was scripture. And if the Bible was enough for him, then it's going to be enough for us. Everything that we need for survival in the desert is in the Bible. But we've got to believe it, we've got to know it, we've got to read it, we've got to study it, and we've got to love it. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 9 tells us that having a love for the truth, a love for God's word, is a key line of defense against deception. Talking about end times here, it says, The work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, 
And then in verse 10, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, and this is the clincher, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. The disobedience of the first Adam brought sin, condemnation, and death. The obedience of the last Adam brought reconciliation, righteousness, life, and salvation to all who believe. Now back to Romans 5, verse 12 to 21. It looks at the theme of death reigning through the first Adam, then life reigning through the last Adam, Jesus. And in those verses, two words are repeated five times, much more. By his obedience on the cross, Jesus not only undid the damage of Adam's sin, he accomplished much more. There was a man who lived in a little, little seaport town, and he became famous when he risked his life to single-handedly rescue a whole boatload of people that was caught up on the rocks on a bad storm. And the people of that town were so grateful, they got an artist to make a statue of that man. Now, sometime after that, a, a gang of vandals went through that town, and among other things, they smashed that statue to pieces. So the council went back to the artist and asked him to make another one exactly the same. But the artist said, no, I'm not going to make it exactly the same. I'm going to make it better. And so he made it out of a tougher material that couldn't be smashed up. And he also improved the look of it. And that's what Jesus has done. He's made it everything much more, much better. Romans 5 verse 17, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? How much more will we reign in life because of this grace, this abundant provision of God's grace? And according to Titus 2 and verse 12, grace teaches us to say no to sin. And also then there's a gift of his righteousness. You know, sometimes we can feel like we are permanently stuck in the desert. We're constantly tempted, constantly defeated, and we can't see that there's going to be any way out. But by God's grace, there is a way out. You know, it doesn't come easy. Yes, we do have a bitter enemy, and yes, we do have to fight quite hard for a lot of our victories. But that Adamic line is no longer our heritage. Things are different now. With God's grace and God's power in our lives, we can, we really can overcome that old sinful nature. We just have to persist. It's always trying to drag us down, but we can say no to sin. We can win. We can reign in life. And some people just have to really hear this this morning. It is possible. Yeah. Whatever, whatever mess we are in, it is possible. It really is. God can do anything. Now, maybe you're just worrying. I don't think so. I don't think I'll ever get out of this desert. I have this eating disorder. I'm addicted to gambling. I'm addicted to porn. I'm addicted to pee. Whatever. The Adamic nature is calling all the shots in my life. Well, maybe it is today, but we belong to a different race. We have a new nature, and as we work on nurturing and expanding and feeding that nature, we will get to the place 
where we are reigning in life through the very real and powerful grace that God abundantly supplies. We will. Now, on the other hand, we have to fight too and do our part. And we sometimes have to take big drastic steps to deal with sin because Jesus took some very big drastic steps to deal with our sin too. Remember how he said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. Now, he didn't mean that literally because half the world would be blind, wouldn't they? But what he was saying, I mean, and he heals blind eyes anyway, so he'd be very extra busy. But what he means is that we have to deal very drastically with sin. And we also have to keep short... Oh, yeah, back up. I'm losing my place again. He's saying we have to take radical and drastic action. I read about a doctor who lost everything, absolutely everything, because of his serious gambling habit. And he had to take drastic action, which was to move to a small town way out in the back blocks of nowhere so that he could not have access to pokey machines, which was his downfall. You know, and if internet porn is your downfall, maybe you somehow need to live without the internet, especially at home. Now, that's as radical as plucking your eyes out, isn't it? But we have to deal drastically with sin. We also need to keep short accounts to seek God's forgiveness when we fail. And I've had people say to me, oh, but I can't keep going back to God again and again and again with the same old thing. You know, God will get sick of me and, oh, you know, this, that and the other. But we can and we must and God wants us to. It is so, so important. Keep short accounts. God does not get sick of you. God wants to help us. A well-known prophet called Rick Joyner made this comment, the bride of the first Adam lived in a perfect world and chose to sin. This has enabled Satan to boast that giving freedom, man will choose evil. Before the end of this age, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, will have a bride that lived in the most imperfect and evil world and against the entire onslaught of hell, chose to obey. With God's grace, that's us. God bless you.